The History of Personal Computing. History of Personal Computing. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to a new episode of the History of Personal Computing podcast. I have my freshly brewed coffee right here, so I'm ready to go. It's been an entire month since we last spoke to you, and Jeff and I are back. We're rested, and we're fresh for a whole new show. So on today's show, we'll both be speaking. We'll both. What am I saying? Uh, I'm going to I be can speaking talk to, to myself. Jeff. Yeah, <laughs> I do that a lot. Jeff and I are going to speak about his stay at Kansas Fest 2016. Plus, we'll cover the now classic and long-lived IBM slash Lenovo ThinkPad. Long-lived. So that, that's a good way of putting it, isn't it? I guess yeah, it's or, been around for quite a while. Um, laptop series. Anyway, so with that. And you have one news item, though, to go first, right, Jeff? So yes, tell us about I, that. I saw this on Facebook today. I thought it deserved mentioning. Anybody and everybody who has done anything with CPM probably knows who Gary Kildall is, um, you know, the father of CPM and, and a lot of other important uh, uh, things in, in, well, and now in vintage computing. Mm-hmm. Well, there hasn't been a real autobiography of Gary Kildall, um, and nor has a lot of people been able to really learn what he was like, you know, as a as a person. I mean, we have notes and anecdotes that are available elsewhere, but um, Gary's children, uh, Scott and Kristen, uh, found some handwritten notes by Gary that he wrote about a year before he, uh, you know, tragically passed away, um, and. Those notes have been released, um, at least the first portion of the notes have been released for public consumption. Um, and um, we ha- we'll have a link on our show notes that will let you get there. You have to actually agree to a uh, uh, terms of use before you can download the man- manuscript. But I didn't read the manuscript yet, um, but I'm sure it is probably a good insight into, um, or at least to get an idea of who Gary killed all you know, was even outside of the computer realm. I guess had he started, Gary Kildall had started writing, I guess, writing a, a autobiography, I guess, right? Yes. And then, uh, then he passed away. Yeah, but apparently these notes were, were marked for release in one year or something mm-hmm. like that. And he, you know, he, he died before that. Okay. I'm just looking through it. Yeah. That'd be great to, to look at. And, you know, unfortunately Gary Kildall's kind of, well, like a lot of people that, you know, isn't as well known, you know, as the big names like uh, Bill Gates, obviously, and but he, Jobs. And- he had that early open source idea before it really became a term. Yeah. And that's what his greatest contribution to computers was. You know, he was very smart, very intelligent, knew this stuff in and out, and shared what he knew. Well, surprisingly, even MS-DOS is passing into the ether where a lot of Modern people aren't really aware of it any longer, but other than us insiders, CPM is really forgotten pretty much yes. by the mass public. And that was, you know, the, the de facto standard operating system of all microcomputers for a good while. Yes. And, um, and that was his company, of course. And set standards that were copied by DOS. Yeah. We know that argument. <laughs> so really nice. Yeah. So that's at the Computer History Museum, that link. Yep. So that's pretty cool. So they donated it. All right. Well, then, um, with that, let's let's get right on to your trip to Kansas yeah, Fest. I took a little trip. Which how long? So, so what date was that again? When did you get back? It was what two weeks ago? No, a week oh, and a half ago. Me, yeah. Or no, one week from tomorrow. Right. You were heading back, I guess. I left one week on the eighteenth, and I got back on the twenty fifth. So two weeks ago. Uh, yeah. yeah. The two yeah two Mondays ago is okay. when I got back. Three Mondays ago is when I left. Okay. So it was my son and I who drove out there the 1,020-some miles with one overnight stay in Indiana. Um, and, and then it was a two-day trip back. So we shared the, the drive. Uh, my son is now a seasoned pro uh, on highway driving. He, the car does do 90. I know that. Um, 
but he was driving it too. Yeah, at ninety. <laughs> I never took it up to ninety. <laughs> the Taurus. Yes. <laughs> and um, uh, and I was official- playing around with my new ham radio installation when he was driving. I, I installed it like the night before eleventh hour, and, and I was able to talk to a few people on the way out. And the official dates of the event was it Tuesday through Friday? Is that right? Yeah, nineteenth through the well, the twenty nineteenth through twenty third, I think, was the scheduled event, and then people were leaving on the twenty fourth on Sunday. Some oh, people okay. stayed behind, but they had like latest checkout. I think was at like three p.m. or something. And you guys arrived on the Tuesday, then I guess, for actually at you, Kansas Fest. We actually arrived Monday. Monday evening. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, right. Tuesday. We we arrived Tuesday. Uh, we got in there. The window between twelve and four when you have to check in, and then there'll be you know stuff available. You know to get your linens and and stuff that you need for your for your room. Get your pass key because if you came in. After four, you'd have to go somewhere else to get that stuff. So, and if everyone didn't know, it was because it, it was held in uh, well, you all were staying in dormitories at a university, Rockhurst University. Yes, so very much is like a summer camp sort of a thing. Where they only have one working shower, really, at least in in our wing. Well, here's the deal: um, they had four shower stalls. It was it was like well, for me, it was like living in the barracks. Uh, you know, you have you have all the rooms, and you know this yourself. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you have rooms, and then you have like the shared bathroom area with a few shower stalls and stuff. Um, but I couldn't get three of them out of four to turn on. So I found out later that even though some of them looked identical, one turned by cranking it around in a circle like a lot of motels do. Another one, you turn it on by pulling on it. So <laughs> they they kind of look the wow. same, but you operate them all differently. I thought, oh, oh, well. I just got up real early in the morning, so I didn't have to worry about it. Plus, the hottest it got was, and I, I created a new term for this, it's called lukewarm. <laughs> it's not cold. Just enough. But, but it's not even lukewarm. <laughs> it's, and you know what lukewarm is. It's, yeah. You know, just you know, a little tepid. This is, this is lukewarm. At least it wasn't just ice cold. Yeah. Uh, you know, 100 and some degrees, 80, 85 degrees before 8 o'clock, you know, you'd, you'd probably want it to be that way. But the yeah. air conditioner worked really good. So, you know, you were pretty chilly in there. So that first day is really about arriving, checking in, and there's nothing else. Making really, friends right away. There's nothing else going on other than like a dinner out and just hanging out together. Right? Yes, we went to. Yeah, that's about it. You meet people, so I got to see you know faces for for some of the names I I, I knew. I, I I met Carrington in person. Mm-hmm. I met Steve Wyrick in person. Okay. Um. And, and well, and Todd George was there. I met him before at VCF East. Um. And I met. Yep. I met my benefactor. Uh, so um, let's see. Who else did I meet? Oh, other names. You know, it was – for me, it was a whirlwind. You know, yeah. you know, Mark Pilgrim, that's right. He was he was my uh, benefactor. And then um, see, then names like – I learned like Charles Mangan and – Yeah, who does you know, the – Band with names. Uh, and a couple of them I actually made Facebook. Um, Burger, the one uh- – Oh, the burger, the lady who's burger, uh, uh, <laughs> burger Betty, right? No, is it something like that? Oh gosh, we're bad, but yeah, but she's a fame, pretty famous like software. I mean, yeah, she's pretty and stuff from the smart that stuff. Um, anyway, there's some good, you know, in the links in the show notes. There's you some know what? Next year I'll try yeah. and <laughs> I'll try to remember the names. <laughs> there's a there's a there's a um, a link in the show notes which will be. Well, there's a little video, so I'll go and talk about this. So there's links in the show notes. One is at kansasfest.org, and it's a little video that Steve Weyrich put together um, of, of the week at KFest, so that's cool. And then there's there's a link that goes to the series of articles that were written at Cult of Mac. So that gives you lots of good coverage information. Yeah, that is. That, I was reading that during the week. They were putting them out almost daily. And the one guy, he was there. He was at the show. That's why they got him out so quick. Yeah. On the spot reporter. And then there's also another link, which will be to that open Apple podcast um, that you were in, Jeff. That was like a combination podcast for everybody. Yes. And that was pretty fun. I, I listened mostly on that one, but um, just getting used to the group. But uh, they were able to keep the conversation going. So tell us about some of the different um, presentations that, that you saw. Well, that's the thing. It was, it was all new to me. So I didn't know what to expect. Um, I, I went to the, um, I see there was a dinner outing and then, oh, when was it? They had late registration on Wednesday and, um, the keynote, uh, that's the first one I went to is the keynote, which was about 3 PM on, on Wednesday. 
and um, Mike Harvey gave the keynote. He was basically the editor and or publisher of uh, Nibble Magazine. Okay, yeah. Keep in mind, I was all basically brand new at Apple. I mean, I, I know of Apple II's. I know more now. Um, I know of Apple II's, but I, I'm not familiar with the history of Apple II's like I am with the history of Commodore. So I don't they, know they the didn't run you off? No, they didn't. No, was, <laughs> open arms. You know, everybody was welcome. Um, I have a copy of Nibble right here in front of me. I just acquired it. You know, and there recently. were a bunch there, too, in, 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 as, as part of the garage giveaway. Um, and, they were, and they were still there. Yeah, that's right. We had the garage giveaway first. Then, then they started the... Uh, the, the keynote. So that was fun. Oh, and the garage to... giveaway is, um, we're one, I know member who's been, I can't think of his name, but been involved for a long time. And he has just like a, a warehouse full of stuff and he just brings stuff every time. <clears throat> That's right. And, well, the night before, you know, when we checked in, we all helped unload his monster truck. Um, hmm. so he, he had a, I, I don't know what he did. I don't know. Was it a Chevy truck, but he's got this long bed, pickup truck which he like it looks like he took a chevy pickup and inserted the main section of a chevy suburban right behind the main cab so he had a really long extended cab and then the uh the, the bed of the truck and all that was filled they they apparently this was just a banner year for all this stuff it was completely filled they had stacks of macs you can get a mac classic uh they they must have had it uh you know 10 10 max wide three or four max tall wow uh, in various working conditions, well, my my son picked up a color Mac. Um, really, Mac Classic, yeah. Did he really have a color classic? I have a color classic. Wow, those are actually in a bag, getting harder yeah. to come by these oh, days. He loved it. Uh, we had trouble getting it to work. I think the it. I think the internal battery is bad. Okay, uh, we those had to are use, easy to get. We had to use this, yeah, and go to Radio Shack and spend, spend thirty bucks for one. I'm sure, but or or six dollars on Amazon. Yeah. Um, but we had to use a trick to get it to boot up. You could hear the ra- you could hear the monitor click go going. You can hear the hard drive spin up. But what we had to do to actually get it to boot was to turn it off, pull the logic board out, turn it on, wait a little bit, and then just force the logic board in real quick and wait for the front green light to go out. And I, it would start. Never heard of that. It it worked. <laughs> we wow. we spent spent hours trying to figure this out until we looked for. Well, we got help from some people. They tried things. We were able to clear out the. Uh, what is it that that non-volatile RAM um, mm-hmm. just to kind of clear everything out? Right. It also turned out we ended up having to because my son also picked up a, an LC two SI. Okay. Yeah. I believe the thicker LC twos. Yep. Um, and we ended up swapping the hard drive out of that to get it because we think the hard drive that was in the Mac. Well, it was a. It was a Mac, I'm sorry, Mac two SI. Yeah. Mac two SI. Okay. Not LC two. I have LC twos. Okay, so Mac two SI. Yeah. Yep. So we just swapped the hard drive out. And it, it runs, so I'm probably cool. going to recap it for him and get that battery replaced, and then um, you know it works, and it comes in the big old padded case too. Well, I listened to John from the Retro Mac Cast, you know James and John, and so John yeah. was there, right? Did you have yes, him? he was. I heard his voice, his booming voice, and um, and so he, you know, the recent Retro Mac Cast that was just it's out now. So um, so he talks about Kansas Fest too, and he's talked about, I guess the Mac. Uh, presence has grown quite a bit and it's, it's being a little bit more embraced there, which is good. Not that it wasn't embraced, but yeah, you know, I noticed that an Apple too. There's II. a lot of Mac stuff. Yeah. That, especially in the garage giveaway. It's definitely an Apple II event, but I guess what I might take from, cause it wasn't like this four years ago. The one time I went, even though it was, yeah, again, it wasn't like anybody's rejected for anything, but apparently Macs are a little more embraced now. That's as okay. I picked up a uh, Coco three. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So that's pretty cool, huh? And I actually got that on a toss-up. There was another gentleman there. I can't remember his All name. All was welcome. Um, and I think that's good. That helped and we me. Both, and we both eyeballed that Coco 3. And you know, we were kind of standing near it before they did the starting gun thing. And then they moved us back <laughs> to uh-huh. find the line. And the guy says, why don't we flip for it? And I said, oh, sure, why not? You know, I was already feeling the camaraderie. You know, no sense being selfish there. Right. Um, so we flipped a coin, his coin. And I won the toss. So <laughs> I got the Coco 3. Um, but he picked up, he, he said he didn't have a Coco at all in his uh, collection. So I picked up, or he, I noticed the Coco 2 with the floppy drive and said, here, you want this. Huh. Uh, so he has a Coco 2 with a floppy drive. And that, that itself is you know, a nice combination to have if you're going to do mm. anything. But with the Coco 3, you know, I just get together a floppy drive of my own and then I can uh, run OS 9. 
that's what I want to try, the multitasking operating system for the Coco. So do you remember any other um, – so back to the, the okay. keynote was the Nibble. The keynote um, was – see, this is me learning all new stuff. So I didn't realize you know, this, this guy's presence in the community. Everybody loved him, and he's a really good guy. Um, he talked about basically his he, – he gave us his autobiography in two hours, um, and he talked a lot about some of his other ventures, and, but mostly kind of hung on the Apple II stuff and, and you know, how Nibble came about and where, where it went to and stuff. And let's see, what else? I think it was later that same day. Yeah, Charles Mangan had uh, the Retro Connector Mini Hack Fest. Okay. And he developed this little board that lets you do Arduino-based um, I.O., you know, input-output stuff through the Apple game port. Uh, so I, I was watching that, and he said at the end, he said, if anybody wants to try this, because you know, they have their Hack Fest. Right. You know, people try to write software in three days. Um, but this was a mini hack fest, and he asked for people to do it. And somebody raised their hand. I think a second person raised their hand, but I don't know where that person went to. And at the very end of it, I said, I just raised my hand. I said, okay, I'll, I'll try it too. Um, so we got um, – oh, we got his little – You did do some stuff, didn't you? Yes. Because I retweeted well, it. here's the thing. <laughs> I got – you know, I, he – Basically loaned me one of the devices that he built, which is pretty neat. It uses an um, an Arduino, uh, a Teensy is what it's called, uh, coupled to some custom circuit boards to give you I.O. pins and stuff. And then a cable that goes straight into the game port. And with that, we were supposed to create um, create something. To make you know, make that do something that you wouldn't normally make it do, or you wouldn't expect people to do. You know, you, you didn't want to be a cliche. You wanted to make it do something unique. So, I thought about uh, I I bought an electronics kit. Uh, Todd George and I went to Micro Center, and I was picked up an electronics kit that had some you know parts that I could do with Arduino stuff because I'm I was planning on doing some Arduino stuff there anyway, um, and it had a servo servo in it, little metal, a little mechanical servo. Um, you know, that moves 180 degrees. And I thought, okay, I have this servo here. Why don't I make the Apple turn the servo? Uh, just by you know inputting commands at the Apple, it goes to this interface and turns the servo to a certain position. And then I found out Todd George had a second servo, so I thought, okay, with two servos, I can simulate something. And then I remembered the old uh, naval semaphore signaling system you, you, with the flags. You remember hearing about that a long time ago? Uh, they use two flags, and then they put them in different positions, and it creates different letters. I remember Monty Python goofing around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think they <laughs> joke about it. it. Yeah, but it's like that. It, they use flags, two flags, one in each hand, and then from a distance, somebody can see the position of the flags and identify the letter, and then that's right. how you pass messages at a, at a visual distance. Well, I thought, you know, these servos swing up and down, and um, so do the hands of somebody holding a flag. So I mimicked um, the signaling, the alphabet signaling system, a through Z, and this is me from scratch after not programming in 6502-based assembler in 15, 20 years. I researched a, an assembler that I wanted to use. Right. I used Big Mac, um, so I had to learn to use that. I had to learn where to write, where, where to store my programs, and learn some of the port names and port values and the memory locations to be able to do things, and that's what I did. I wrote assembler code to control this interface, which then controlled servos. And then the servos have these little plastic swing arms on them that can kind of show you the servo pointing somewhere. So I just kind of mapped the different positions for the flags to positions on the servos. And I wrote an assembler program that if you hit the D key on the keyboard, the two servos will position themselves to the D flag orientation. Hmm. So, I mean, it, it's it's a proof of concept. Yeah. Uh, but I guess if they were big servos and they were mounted on the wall and they had real flags attached to them, you could get a good visual image of this. Uh, a few of the letters don't work well because these servos only have 180 degree rotation, whereas that means you would have to have one arm out on each side in the signaling system. But in some, some letters, both arms are on one side. So I kind of had to fake that. But it, like I said, it's a proof of concept. And sure. It, but I learned things from I, I learned new stuff. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to attend many of the other um, sessions because I was busy working on this. Mm-hmm. So it ended up being just you know school for me. Uh, but it was fun. And and well, long story short, I won. 
Did you really? By default, because there apparently only one other person signed up for this, and whoever that was, they they quit it. Wow. <laughs> so I won by default, but I met the prerequisites for the challenge. Yeah, and would so, you would you win? I won the book um, Assembly Lines. Uh, I think the author was actually there at the at the show signing the books. I didn't know that till afterwards, um, but I won the book Assembly Lines, which basically teaches you a lot about programming and assembly on the Apple II. So I may read that book by next year, and then I'll just do the regular Hackfest next year. That's something. But it was fun. I, I learned a lot. I was really happy, and I had my Apple II E there, and um, I forgot my I forgot my disc controller cards. Uh, so I ended up having to wait till the garage giveaway to remedy that. Did they have? Um, did they have the day where sort of like uh, what do I want to say? Sort of like a swap meet, you know, for sale day. Yes, they did have that. I went down there to take a look around, and that really wasn't my big thing. That was the exhibition thing, and that actually came up. That, that actually was after the judging for this mini hack fest. So uh-huh. I had already received my prize and stuff, and and my kudos, and. Um, well, you had so you said you had the one guy who wrote the book about assembly line programming in Apple II, and you know Stephen Wayrich, he has a really great book about Apple II history. So I assume maybe he was selling his book. I maybe, but I don't remember. I, I just kind of passed through. I know there's another guy who, when I went there, his new book, which was sort of like a, a brand new user guide for the Apple II, had just come out. But what I'm getting at too is there's other sort of Roger like, Wagner. He wrote the assembly lines, the complete okay. book. So, but there's also like I know there's that one new game that was announced, right? Was it being sold? Yes, uh, it was announced. I don't know if it was sold. I, I actually, I wish I can give you an answer, but I was just still, you know, it, it's all new to me. I now I know better for next year, you know, what to do and what to pay attention to. Mm-hmm. But it was still kind of new. I was I was zigging when everybody was zagging. Well, are there any other? Were there any other activities or hack things or anything that you, you want to mention or that you remember? Any, anything else you want to highlight about it? Well, uh, one of the entrants for the uh, the, the, the hack fest was a uh, one of those bejeweled style games for the Apple II, mm-hmm. and that's available somewhere with uh, I think on the Kansas Fest link sets um, as a as a download that you can you know use for you know if you use ADT Pro you can bring it over to a real. App or you can use it as a disk image, and I was actually having fun with that. And I was using uh, the Apple Apple Win emulator on my Surface tablet to um, play with that, and it's a really fun game. It's you know it's Bejeweled. Everybody played Bejeweled. You know you think you get bored at it by now, but it actually plays really good. But that wasn't the winner of the uh, hack. Well, it's sort of like Tetris. It's like it's always still fun. Yeah, it is, but it was it was done quite well, um, and, and you know, and this stuff done in like three days, you know, that's that's amazing. Yeah, and they're supposed to go in there without, with with no more than just the idea. Yeah, you can't you can't do anything ahead of time, and you have to use uh, tools and stuff that's available to the public. So one other thing I want to ask you because I want to uh, use it myself, and I looked up the website. But you were using ADT Pro. Yes, I was. So tell us a little bit about that and about using it and what okay. you need and so on. Well, ADT Pro is a Java-based server for um, the Apple, which lets you basically access... Um, well, it runs on Windows, though, right? It runs on Windows. Okay. And I had a little EPC that I tend to take around with things it's it's an old venerable mini one of the first netbook type yeah. computers but it runs adt pro and then i used a usb to serial adapter and then from there i used uh, like a lap link serial cable to go over to the apple and then i used whatever adapters i needed to go into my apple 2e yeah which you have to you do have to have a special cable to plug into the serial connection of the apple 2 yes but and you then- can also do it through audio Okay. It'd be slower. You can go through the, uh, I think, the cassette ports. All right. Um, but it will be slower. Serial is best. It, it works at about, uh, uh, I think, 9,600 ball to get set up. And I think then it works, I, I, does it work 115 too? I think it negotiates that on its own. Um, but I know but, that the guy that makes ADT Pro, he has a relationship with someone. And because I was there looking, you can go over to that other person's webpage and you know you can buy a cable 
for like seventeen dollars or something. No, it's not too bad if it's already um, pre-configured, yeah. all set to go. Yeah, I was I was hooking things to hooking things and you know making all sorts of daisy chain adapters. But that's what I use. So when I needed software for my Apple II, I would just fire up. Well, I I I bootstrapped it through the uh, um because you have to. You can bootstrap it just by typing like PR number or whatever your serial card is in, and then it will send a shell of ADT Pro software to the Apple II, and then it runs on your Apple II. And then from there, you can, say, stick a disk in uh, your disk drive and then send over an ADT Pro disk image, and now you have a bootable ADT Pro for your Apple II. It's really slick. So I just left that hooked up the whole time. Uh, the whole the whole three or four days when I had my setup there, I just left it all set up because when I needed a, an assembler program, when I found Big Mac, um, I just downloaded the disk image off of Asimov and made a disk, and I had that. So all my tools were available through the Internet as I needed them. So it really came in handy. I had a nice little workstation set up there. I want to play around with. So um, oh, I it's great, a, yeah. And if you can just pick up, and they work good in on little netbooks. I mean, you don't need much for it. My my netbook is uh, probably ten years old, and I have a netbook myself. Yeah, for for, uh, for the same thing. Like, but you will have to have old machines. I think here's where, it, and I, I ran into a problem with Java. I actually didn't have Java on that netbook, and I'm surprised it didn't. I had to because I was running Windows XP. Uh-huh. Yeah running Windows XP, because I know it won't run Windows 10, um, or even 7 for that matter. So I had, um, I think I actually had to go on Sun's uh, website and search for an older version of Java that would run on my netbook before I could run this. I couldn't use the the latest, greatest one. I actually had to go in, create an account, download a, quote, unsafe version of Java, since, you know, the older ones are considered unsafe. Right. Just so I can run it on this, just so I can run ADT Pro. Because you need you need that Java runtime environment, mm-hmm. but when it's running, it, it works great. I mean, it's really slick, really easy, and you can. Almost, I could have just left the netbook, you know, lid closed if it didn't go into sleep mode, uh, and just, you know, because if you have all your disk images downloaded to your, you know, your netbook or your PC, then you can actually remotely pick them out from the Apple II. You can actually get a directory of the folder where all those disk images are and pick it right from the Apple II. And say, I want this disk image turned into a floppy, and it will do it. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. Or vice versa. You can you move floppies into a disk image, do the same thing. And it's pretty quick. A whole disk, I think, takes about 20 to 30 seconds. Well, I know there's so much more we could talk about, but it looks like we're about halfway through the show. So we're going to move on <laughs> yeah. to the, um, the regular eBay portion of the show. But uh, again, the links are in the show notes. And um, you can hear the podcast from... Um, the Kansas Fest, you can hear John, John talking about it, the little video. There's, lot, there's there's more out there. And then there's articles at Cult of Mac, so you can learn a whole lot more. And then I know, I guess they've already scheduled it for next year. Yes, so, so it's I'm ongoing. already saving up my money for next year. And if I'm not mistaken, it has consistently grown. So, you know, it's not that it's not a huge event, but it's significant. I don't know. How many people do you think were there? It's like... 60? Yeah. And so that number comes to mind. It's got, you know, it's getting bigger slowly, which is a great thing. So it's, it's a successful, regular, you know, foundational event. And obviously for Apple too, it's completely foundational. So, all right. Well, anyway, so moving on again, uh, the history of personal computing is the podcast where we take an informal look at personal computing history through the lens of eBay auctions. It's sort of like Antiques Roadshow, but all about antique personal computers. On today's show, we continue our coverage of the second phase of portables with the laptop, and we're exclusively covering the IBM Lenovo ThinkPad since it's been around uh, since 1992 ongoing. So it's I don't know if most people realize how long that that's been around. Um, so it's been very influential with a uh, laptop design and just uh, sort of foundational laptop. So from Wikipedia, it says the name ThinkPad is a product of IBM's corporate history and culture. Thomas J. Watson Sr. had first introduced Think as an IBM slogan in the 1920s. With every mini computer and mainframe IBM installed, almost all were leased, not sold, a blue plastic sign was placed atop the operator's console with a think command on an aluminum plate. The first three ThinkPad notebook models were the 700, 700C, and 700T. 
which I didn't find any of those on eBay. Did did you try finding any of those? Not the, no, at least I, the absolute earliest ones. I couldn't find any. I couldn't find them either. And they were publicly announced in October 1992. The bright red track point, a kind of pointing stick embedded in the keyboard, enabled the notebook to be used on an airline tray table without a mouse. The first ThinkPads were very successful and soon collected more than 300 awards for design and quality. And there's a, also a link to the Wikipedia article uh, on the ThinkPad. So with that, Jeff, take it away with your first auction link. All right, I'm just closing some uh, tabs here so they don't get like my way. It's a, a fairly early one. It's a 701. So I tried to. I forgot series how anyway. the, the number sequence went because the first thing pad I owned, I got in 95, 96. Yeah. Um, I, I and I know they've been really around early. for a little bit. This was actually an old one that a business got rid of at the time. So I don't remember the se- I know the number series aren't exactly sequential through time. And this is a great one to start off with. All right, so let me open up the link here. I won't spoil it. Uh, yeah, you're nipping at at the bit, aren't you? Let's see. Open link. There we go. Well, and it's funny, like you talked about the EEEPC and the whole idea. Of oh, yeah. We, we mentioned this one so last subcompacts time. Subcompacts or whatever. The, that's what this With the butterfly is. keyboard. Mm-hmm. IBM ThinkPad 2630 701CS. Uh, yeah, the 701CS was more the number that you dealt with. Uh, laptop butterfly keyboard, 720 megabyte hard drive, woo, and 8 mega RAM and Windows 95, and they say it works too. Um, nice. The first time I saw one of these was at a computer, uh, was it Computer City? Um, it and I hot. thought that was. Yeah, I thought, yeah, it was. It's like everybody wanted to see what this butterfly keyboard was all about. And then you open up the lid and the keyboard comes up and splits apart. And it's like, wow, it's amazing. Uh, I think yeah. I even heard somebody say, oh, that'll break soon. Um, <laughs> maybe it did for some. But, you know, IBM ThinkPads are built pretty tough. So, right. Uh, but it is it is a neat design because it does make the computer smaller. Um you know, for carrying and stuff, it's, you know, it's more of a notebook than a laptop. But then when you have it open, you have the wider keyboard that's easier to use. And you still have that touch point that, you know, you don't have to move your arm all around the table. So this would have been even more perfect on the airplane. Mm-hmm. It was and a pretty th- interesting design and it's pretty fascinating, uh, innovative. You said that the hinges are good on this. Um Battery doesn't hold a charge, but that's expected anymore. Yeah. Um, although the battery slides out easily, he could probably have that yeah. rebuilt, if not, you know, buy a rebuilt. Plus your old laptop. I mean, come on. Hey, it's a 486 DX4 running at 75 megahertz. Arguably faster than a penny early Pentium. At, yeah. Know, depending on what you're doing with it. And it probably had more accurate floating point at the, than the early Pentium did too. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, Windows 95, 120. Or what? You know, one. Meg, I'm about to say gig on some of these numbers. One meg of video memory, so that gave you a nice, decent VGA screen. Even if you used uh, the external VGA, you probably got a good 1024 by 768 out oh, of yeah. that. Oh yeah, with 256 colors. Yeah, because it it wasn't. No one was worried about doing uh, 3D rendering or you know gaming kind of stuff. Yeah. So just putting out the colors and the resolution, it was fine. You could draw with it. Yeah, you could. Uh, draw all sorts of stuff but yeah it's it's a nice compact it's good shape and the price well it's sold for 150 bucks so that may say something about the butterfly keyboard model and especially one in this condition i want to say i would honestly kind of think of maybe that that's a good price that they could actually be more valuable valuable than that one thing i noticed about it it looks to be in excellent condition but if you look like look at the pictures where it's just showing purely the top and the bottom yes it apparently has that sort of uh Shark skin. Rubber, yep. It. And yeah. that stuff. Like, I don't know if it says anything about it getting tacky. Does it say anything that? Oh, the, could, you, you're thinking that breaks down over time. And, oh, look, oh, plastic, plastic exterior feels soft and kind of sticky. Kind of sticky. Yep. Not sure what it calls that. It's, yeah, it's the plastic. So that's what down. happens with a lot of that stuff from 20 years ago. Is it? Um, and I think there's a way, if you like, if you look on YouTube, um, if you take like talc powder and rub all over it, <laughs> and okay, then, and then just kind of wipe it off. That 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 helps. It takes get rid it with, of a lot like of absorbs it. it and takes it with it or something. I think so. Oh, well, that's a neat trick. But, um, you'd want to be careful doing that, but but anyway, it's a very cool. Yeah, speaking of that broken down rubber and plastic, that's we've had some issues with that at the uh, Kansas Fest, especially the garage giveaway stuff. The feet. Oh yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. 
dissolve. You That's know, all the same material, I think. Yeah, it gets sticky. It's just the way they manufactured the rubber at the time. It uh, mm-hmm. it breaks down. It, it decomposes. Yep. And sticks and smears and that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, it, it does. It gets all over everything. All right. So my first choice pick or whatever today is the IBM ThinkPad 510 CS Color Subnotebook Computer Vintage Computing Collectible. This one is still live. And uh, they want a lot of money for this. This is a so wow. eight hundred dollars. Buy it now, or you can make an offer. Twenty bucks shipping out of New York. It says excellent cosmetic condition. Um, what's it say? Includes blah blah blah. Uh, skip that. What does this say? Excellent cosmetic condition includes the color sub notebook, firmware, firmware Phoenix BIOS, six forty k base memory, nineteen six forty eight k extended memory module, two hundred meg hard drive with Windows ninety five. Excuse me, PC DOS 62 and MS DOS 31. How does it have both? Anyway, it has PC and CIA. Could it be the on track disk manager that, that it includes? Maybe it splits two partitions or bootable partitions. I don't know if it did that at the time. Uh uh-uh. uh. Oh, that power switch was finicky. No, none of the batteries hold any apical charge. So, okay, so it's a. This could be a very unique and usable vintage 1994 collectible sub notebook PC. So this is a fairly this is one of the earliest ones I, I could find uh, in the in the ThinkPad series. And um, you know, the funny thing about it is, other than it being so thick and the screen being so small in this case, it still doesn't look that different. Yeah, it actually kind of looks like a VTech you know toy computer with well, a tiny screen and the big bezel. Yeah, except you can see the keyboard is not pushed back like all laptops ultimately finally did. And like That's how right. The power book sort of. Your hand rest is behind the keyboard on this one. Yeah. not imperfect. <laughs> but it's it's a nice example. I think they're wanting way too much money for it. Yeah, eight hundred. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. I don't think it's worth that. I mean, three hundred, maybe. Yeah, I mean, maybe that even seems to be a lot. They're just because it's all supply and demand. But you know, I could see maybe three hundred bucks. It works and it's in good solid shape and so on. Comes with a few interesting things. But um, there you go. So 94, so that's a pretty good example of a 20-plus year. Maybe it's because the battery holds a decent charge. <laughs> yeah. Which, I don't know, can you rebuild those batteries too? I Well, those would probably be, um, at that age, probably NICADs, mm-hmm. and those should be easily rebuilt. It's just getting the solder. You have to get the ones with the solder tabs, but NICADs are a little easier to work with. Oh, it looks like it has a floppy with it, and you see the big plug An external floppy. for it? Yeah. Oh yeah, you had to you had big connectors for those. They weren't they weren't USB or anything. Now, just by the way, I know it's in the Wikipedia article, which I don't have in front of me, but I think I think IBM, you know, obviously sold the ThinkPad until like two thousand and seven or eight, maybe. Does that seem right? Up until I know, like five or six, seven years, it's been Lenovo, but I believe Lenovo always made these for IBM. If I'm not yeah, mistaken. I was until they were allowed to put their own name on it, right? Yeah. Well, basically, I think then uh, IBM wanted to get out of the laptop marketplace, so they just sold the rights over to Lenovo, and then Lenovo, um, you know, just kept kept selling them themselves. They rolled with it, yeah. So, but anyway, you can look that up. Anybody's interested, but just to mention, so I think most everything we're looking at today is all IBM branded, and the whole Lenovo thing didn't come about till you know people knew Lenovo made them years later. So okay, so you take it away. Oh, yours right. is this one's a really old one too. Yeah, it's a little similar, but um, this one's the IBM ThinkPad Type twenty six zero three dash oh eight N plus external floppy drive plus manual. Just in case you don't know how to use a computer by now, um, <laughs> this one is. I think this isn't a color screen. This is um, this is the bright white. Oh yeah, and this is like a black sub, and white LCD sub laptop too, which is interesting that they were yep. doing that. These are definitely premium laptops at the time. And it has uh, oh, there's the brightness and, con- and contrast button. Remember those buttons, uh, brightness and contrast on the bezel, so you can uh, make it uh, brighter or darker, and then pale or not. That that was your choices for for these displays to get the best black and white high contrast view you can get. Uh, yeah, that's a no, real nothing much about factor. it. It just says it, you know, it turns on and boots into DOS. It looks like it runs DOS shell, mm-hmm. so it's probably like uh, DOS five, maybe. Yep. Um, and comes with everything shown in pictures. So yeah, you have an external floppy drive, uh, like a slimline one, and then it has it looks like it has a cable for like uh, mouse adapter PS two to serial mouse adapter. 
And what's that blue thing sticking out of the side? Oh, it's a piece of tape. Okay, <laughs> piece of blue tape. Um, yeah, it's interesting. There's four little buttons next to the screen. Yeah, that's that's your that's your contrast and your brightness. Right, right, right. Yeah, I, oh, I see. Yeah, you didn't you didn't have to use function keys like you did later. You had dedicated <laughs> buttons to everything. You had all that space on the bezel. Exactly, <laughs> it was there. Might as well use it. Backlighting's probably slid in the side there somewhere. Um, it sold for about fifty six, fifty seven dollars with twenty dollars shipping. So yeah, what a bargain. It, yeah, I guess if you just want a ThinkPad uh, and you don't care if it's a color screen or not, it's not too bad then, especially if the batteries work. Yeah. It's, test for power is on, but I obviously had it plugged in. So and no. it doesn't say, but that one's definitely early too. That's got to be in that same time frame, 94 or whatever. Because I think by, I'm going to guess, 95, 96, I don't think anybody's really making um, mono, you know, non-color laptops anymore. So yeah, it's about maybe right. Maybe Apple yeah. did a little bit longer, but you didn't see as many in the PC world by that point, anyway. This has a folder named Steve in it and a folder oh. named Norma. All Steve's files are in there. So the next one, so I found another one from the 94. So um, but this one I think is a little bit, is this one monochrome too? Wow. Is it color? Yeah, sure is monochrome. Oh, it is monochrome. So yeah. this is a vintage IBM ThinkPad 340 laptop works from 1994 with OS. And it's got a starting bit at 259.99. So it might have been live auction ones. Also from New York. This is from New York City. 2395 economy shipping. It's got a day and a half left. No bids. So it's still ready. Yeah, to go. because it's $215.99 starting bid. <laughs> That's why there's no bids. So, Thus, you know, we'll see if uh, what I was talking about the other one, whether it's worth two or three hundred dollars. Is it even worth two hundred dollars? This one's in really nice shape, though. Um, I bought it in 1994. One's Windows 3.1, original power cord works. That's what they say. Yeah, it is pretty clean. Even yeah. even the touch the, the the touch point is clean unless you replace the the cap on that. Yeah, it's um. So this is a nice example. They don't say about the battery, but you can pretty much assume the battery does not work. But the fact that the whole thing is clean and works, and it still has Windows 3.1, which for me, I think that makes it more desirable that it it has its original load on it. Yeah, because, uh, you know, I like out of the box time machine. Never liked using Windows 3, but <laughs> I see the PIF editor. I remember that. Yeah. To adjust, I think that adjusted uh, yeah, what program was that for? specifications for certain applications. It like adjusted. Uh, it has been a while. You think I know this? <laughs> yeah. I haven't used it in a long time. I, I think it's used to adjust details about the application when you know you double click on the icon. I think the PIF editor allows you to modify some default settings if you want to tweak it for performance. I, I may be wrong on that. I may be thinking of something else, but um, I think that's what that did. When did Elijah. you go to um, Windows ninety five? When did I go to Windows 95? Uh-huh. I first saw it shortly after it came out. So that would be 95. Like you've been, you, you were using, at that point, you were using it? Yes, I was working for a small internet service provider, and they got all new systems, and they had this brand new operating system called Windows 95. <laughs> and, and, just, and, and just a month before it was released to the public, I worked for a computer, uh, Ooh, like a mom-and-pop computer. I saw like a pre-release. Somebody brought it in. And we, we got to look at it. It was still still kind of quirky, but we got a preview of it. As a very serious Mac user, I waited in line with a friend on uh, that that night or whatever. So the CompUSA stayed open to mid- midnight for people to buy it. <laughs> and he bought a um, he had just bought a, a Pentium 60. You know, I don't know if he came into some money or something all of a sudden, but he bought an expensive desktop. And then and then that night he bought Windows 95 and he bought the Plus Pack. And like, I mean, office, I mean, so you dropped some money on that stuff, but I was impressed with Windows 95 when it came out. Not that we're talking about that, but anyway. Yeah. The whole different look, <laughs> you didn't have that program manager thing that yeah. kept getting in your way. Windows 3.1, eh, but 95 was more impressive at the time. Well, Windows 3.11, Windows for work groups is really versatile because mm-hmm. you, you had a Windows based operating system, but it will do DOS based networking. So it was very versatile, and that's that's why it hung around for a long yeah, time. Yeah, well, there's corporate environments that stuck or stuck. What am I saying? Stuck or stayed with that, you know, well into the later '90s. 
it worked. It was very stable. Uh, $215.99, I don't think that'll sell for that. But if, if you're looking at the same kind of page I'm looking at, uh, I see in the people who viewed this item also viewed, and there's a vintage Osborne Executive Portal, Portable PC nice. sitting at $99. Uh, maybe you'd rather spend your money on that. You're buying that instead. Yeah, one day, 19 hours, no bids, um, and it doesn't even work. Yeah. I'd be surprised for 100 bucks nowadays. You think you got to pay a little bit more to get one. But you're off the rails, Jeff. Go to your- Yeah, I am. <laughs> the next thing I. What's your next item? Well, I, the next item I picked was the Ultra Dock. And here's the thing with the um, ThinkPad docks there were so many different docking stations or port replicators, depending on the size of them. I, what I wanted to pick, and I couldn't find it, and I had one of these back when I got my first ThinkPad. It was a huge. It was almost like a like a, one of those MacBook docks, except it was bigger because mm. IBM had to be grand. Uh, two stereo speakers had front. Oh yeah, area where you can put a CD-ROM and, and stuff like that. It was just like basically the computer without the screen and keyboard, and your and you would just stick your ThinkPad in this thing. And then have the external keyboard and mouse and stuff. And you have this monster system that would take expansion cards, too. Standard expansion cards. It turned your laptop into a PC, a full PC. Right. Well, I they cannot find them on supply here. and hard drives in them and network cards and all that stuff. Yeah, I, and I cannot find it on eBay. I couldn't even find it searching for Google. I don't remember what it was called, but that's what I wanted to find. Then I saw there's a lot of these ultra doc things and and basically a docking station is a docking station it just gives you the ability to just quickly snap in your laptop into something that would then have an external keyboard or mouse attached and turn your laptop into a desktop uh with a little bit of convenience you know for going on going on the run you know you just pop it out and go so various ways shapes forms you're you're going to have a docking station or a port replicator think pads were designed with a custom connector on the bottom or on the back that you would lay your laptop into this docking station and then you have all these extra ports you know well i was gonna say back in the day a device like this like this one that you picked i'm gonna say because it's got usb and all that so it's probably oh this is more like later 2000s or whatever but yeah, something like this would have been called a port replicator in the old days. Yep. Versus a true docking station would have been because it it would have been it had other it didn't just have extra plugs it had like hard drives in them and yeah other things that and that's how they sometimes have. introduced USB ports to some of the earlier yeah. systems uh, through the docking station. So yeah, it just gives you the ability to quickly park your laptop and have a desktop and then you take it with you again. And this one was priced for seventy five dollars. It sold for that, and I picked sort of like. Uh, a median price. There's some that were cheaper. There's some that were more. I guess it depends on quality. Mm-hmm. Well, like with a lot of things, I think um, you know it's harder, getting harder and harder to find, say, old laptops. But then when it comes to specific accessories for them, they're even harder. Yeah, to find. So, yeah, if they had, yeah, if they had special like a dock that were yeah. needed. Yeah. So. Um, so nothing fancy. I didn't find the one I wanted, which is a shame. But eh, it is what it is. You know, it, it's a dockable computer. So the next one, so one I chose, this is definitely a slightly later one. So this is, it's a Pentium, they're saying 155. I, really? Maybe it could be that. But um, hmm. anyway, this is probably a 90s, I'm going to guess 96, 97. But it says vintage IBM ThinkPad 760 EL laptop, Intel Pentium, uh, 155 megahertz, 24 mega RAM, no HD. The thing about it is it's a... Uh, so it's up for auction. It's starting at twenty nine ninety five with only fifteen dollars shipping. Oh, no hard drive in it. Yeah, but it looks like it works fine. Um, and you know, you could you could put a hard drive in it pretty cheaply. Yeah, easily. probably. I don't think it used SATA, so you have to use the old uh, IDE yeah, hard drives, which is still pretty easy to get. It looks to be in pretty decent uh, condition overall. It's got a little dings and stuff here it has the interesting kind of keyboard that lifts that's a it testament up. to its durability too oh yeah because this was a high-end these were high-end keyboards now one thing about this one if you look at it um other than how thick it is and some things it pretty much looks like a modern thinkpad this is where the current style of a thinkpad 
Oh, is this gel. the one that had like the little keyboard light that was up in the bezel? Uh, no, I think that came later on. Okay, the A series, I think, had yeah. those, like the A twenty. But again, if you look at the you know the the keyboard layout, the trackpad layout, the buttons, the a little bit of a hand rest or wrist uh, rest, all that stuff, they don't put the speakers in the hand rest anymore. But the basic layout, it's pretty pretty much the way it is now. Pretty think petty, yeah, yeah. And this is a good deal. I mean, if you really want to pick up an old one with a little bit of work, you put a hard drive in it, you know. Oh, and the keyboard tilted up. Did it tilt up for, yeah, it looks like it may have tilted up for use. Oh, like lay flat, you mean? Well, I'm looking oh, at the, one keyboard, the, the keyboard. The keyboard. The yeah. keyboard itself. Yeah, like I did. It that was like a use. premium feature. Oh, that's neat. Yeah. So you could tilt it. Well, that was a $200 feature. Up or whatever, you know, like you could do with a regular keyboard on your desk or whatever to make it more ergonomic. So, but you know, pretty much the ThinkPad line was always more. It, it really, it certainly wasn't a, a consumer line or low end in any way. It was definitely a more expensive, you know, in corporate. They'll say, "Yeah, no one ever and, got fired for buying IBM." Yeah, that's right. And usually, a consumer would have one um, for um, because it was off of a lease. Mm-hmm. You know, after a two, two or three year lease, and it was released to the public through through channels, I guess. So no no um, power cords. That would be another. Still should be pretty easy to get a hold of one of those cheap. Uh, yeah, they use the same one. barrel connector. No, wait. Some of the older ThinkPads use a D4 connector. It's a really weird shape, but these ThinkPads yeah. probably use the barrel connector. But they still were pretty um, cross-compatible, like one type for different models and stuff for a while. I know. It looks like this used the D4 connector. I'm looking at the back of it. But the most important thing here, Jeff, to remember, is that this is Y2K compliant. Oh, good. So good. you don't have to worry about that. So I don't have to pretend it's 1916. <laughs> <laughs> Y2K compliant. Okay. All right. So you take it away. Oh, this is your random auction. My random auction. Yeah. I I saw this just scrolling through. Oh. Um, Look at that. I, that. Never knew they existed, but it's an EEPROM programmer burner for the Radio Shack Coco 2, and it might work on the Coco 3. I was going to say, is it really specific? It, just it for looks two? like it's almost homemade it has like a ram has like a a side cartridge mm-hmm. like an it looks like they took an old cartridge apart yeah took the label off and then rebuilt this for the connector so it goes into the side of the uh the the the, the coco and then with a ribbon cable it looks like that's custom made it's like pretty neat. I, idc ribbon cable went to a custom board which has uh a bunch of parts and power stuff or whatever's needed to a, um, uh, a ZIF socket that you can drop um, some some of the earlier EEPROMs into. And buy it now, 115 Two people watching it. Guy will take an offer for it. And it looks like it might be that unique. Um, then again, I didn't read the description. Um, he, and there isn't much to it. No, it's, so that, is, that is pretty cool, though. It might be, it might be something he picked up in a box lot, doesn't know how to use it, but yeah, it, it looks like it may have been custom made. It just doesn't have any branding on it. Hmm. I like it. You should get it. <laughs> oh, you still there? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm sorry. I was <laughs> I was looking at some. Yeah, no, my my uh, my son texted me. He knows not to come down here when I'm talking, so I was uh, addressing that real quick. Um, yeah, I if if this were under fifty, I may consider it, but without any software, I would probably need like uh, one of those multi pack things to use it for my Coco, unless I load its software up on cassette, mm-hmm. because you only have the one slot on the side, so you need like a multi pack interface to plug this in and a hard drive or disk drive at the same time. Hmm. All right, and so for our last, your- what's that? Now on your last one. Over our last one. So I chose an old, old favorite. I wanted to see the uh, environment or the, you know, uh, the ecosystem of Apple leases for sale nowadays. And there weren't a lot to choose from. This is a live auction. Some people are asking ridiculous money. And not a lot of these have sold recently. So here's one that's live. Apple Lisa 2, um, A6S0200. I don't know what that means. Vintage computer. Please read description for condition. So this is 600 bucks. With five bids, so it's not over, five days ago, free economy shipping, which <laughs> why would you even do that? I mean, it's just you're gonna lose yeah. a lot of money on that. I would anyway. So 
person's got good feedback selling it. Uh, what's the deal with it? I have owned the computer for the past 13 years with the intent of restoring it. Well, I'm not going to get around to it. Time to let someone else have some fun. The machine powers on. The display has some sync issues. You can see the OS booted, but the screen is not in sync. Look at the photos. The big, big, bleh, the big yeah, black bar big. and the one photo is just a function of the camera shutter and CRT. Um, so there's some discoloration. It comes with all the manuals and discs. Uh, all right. So just looking at the pictures, it's got a picture of the the initial sort of, without lack of a better term, BIOS sort of screen. Um, the boards are the batteries still in there? It looks like. Oh, that's right. There's yeah, the batteries were removed, so that's good. Some other boards, some manuals. Where is it booting up though? Now this is something you got to be careful with. So some of this other stuff that's. Eh. Nothing special with the as far as the manuals or the, or the diskettes. They're okay. They're not really all that valuable though. So there's no picture of it booting up. It's showing it. Actually, on the second picture, it's showing it. There's like a picture with an X and it's got a, an arrow. So to me, it looks like it's looking for an OS. So it does power on and it is getting to the the post screen. Power but on self test, but it's not booting. Yeah, but it's a nice, a nice selection oh, of for, stuff. That if you can get it for less than a thousand dollars, I think it's still decent. It's got the Lisa keyboard. Could that be an adjustment on the monitor doing that? I think so. Yep. Yeah, I think that would be an easy. Also, if you look or at it, around or something, it looks relatively centered and not all really messed up. So, you know what I mean? Yep. Um, so yeah, so that could be a, a good project for someone. Um, just a educate anybody too if you, if you look at the so that's an app that's a lisa keyboard i don't see the little tab sticking out under the bottom so it's missing the little help tab it it could be there and that's not a big deal but you know if you're a purist and you want to be exactly like it's shipped you would have these little help tab uh, little cards that slide out but if you look at that mouse that's a mac mouse or a mac xl mouse that's not the original lisa mouse which is well then it's not worth 600 bucks anymore <laughs> no nah, it is it's not it's not a big deal i mean yes a lisa mouse is more more uh, valuable but uh, just I just want to point that out. It's not the original Lisa Mouse. So, but some of the later um, Mac XLs, when they're designated that, they they did ship with the the Mac Mouse, I believe. Okay. But, but there you go. This is because they had them. Yeah. This would not be a bad entry level um, Lisa. I would de- definitely ask this person more questions. Like, take the front case. Does it have a hard drive in there? Is there a, or is it empty other than a disk disk drive? So that's because if you don't have a hard drive, that's kind of. It's pretty limited without a hard drive. So yeah, to run it, don't want to work it all floppy the whole time, right? Yeah. So anyway, so what, do you, so what do you think? What did what did uh, we, it's what hard did to we say decide? There's values? so many different varieties of uh, ThinkPads. Yeah, I, I guess to hear the best thing to say is for, you can get a ThinkPad in any price range, mm-hmm. and it's not too bad. I mean, yeah, two hundred and some for what, one of the black and white. Might might be a little high. There might be something magical that you know neither one of us know about it that make it worth that much. But it, you know it hasn't been bid on or sold or anything. So um, yeah, it looks like like anything you could probably find a nice old one that works and everything for under a hundred. It's just a lot harder and you got to really be patient and look for it. It looks like you could probably find a decent working one easily over two hundred, right? But, yeah, but between a hundred and two hundred. And, you know, so obviously the better deal you want, the more patient and careful you have to be about it. So if you want a workhorse Windows machine, not not caring how much or what the latest you know, version of Windows that might be on it, um, it, you get it with, you know, a decent price. But you can find lots of, you know, slightly later ones. And, uh, you know, they're not generic, obviously, but maybe we might say more generic ThinkPads for less. We didn't really because I was focusing on trying to find the older ones. But I, I would assume all the ones from the later 90s, especially into the mid-2000s, you could probably pick those up cheap. So. Yeah, because they're, they're in higher quantities, so that keeps the... Oh, yeah, because I was searching out. just in vintage computing. Yeah, same here. I was hitting that because I figure I'm going to find enough there anyway. Yeah. Um, well, and so we got some feedback. Also, this is a, a, a recent feedback, or Facebook feedback, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Because there was no email. Oh yeah, because I I grabbed it from Facebook. Okay. Yeah, I guess I, I guess I'll read it. So, um, all right. So, so this is from Mark Doton. He said, "Hey, just wanted to say I've been lis- listening last couple of months and have burned through most of the episodes. Love it. Love what you guys do. Keep it up. I'm a writer who's working on a new novel set partly in the late '70s, personal computers, entrepreneurial world. 
so much happening those years, and the podcast is inspiration. All the best, Mark. And did had you read this before? No, uh, I Jeff. So then he, uh, where did I put it on the Facebook page? Oh, I didn't click it away, did I? <laughs> oh no. Um, oh, because he, because I asked him on Facebook, is it all right if we? Um, yeah, can you tell us more? And can I mention? Oh, that's it right. So I on? did read this series. I'm sorry. I just been busy since KFest. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I understand. Me too. It's been it's been a while. Doggone it. Yeah, I'm trying to get there. Let me try to get there real quick. And um, and then on Twitter, I was looking there and you know did a lot of retweeting of some of the stuff you're doing at KFest. And anytime you want me to comment or whatever, uh, we retweeted it. Not a whole lot else to talk about there. I don't think on Twitter. So, um, oh, were there any comments at our page? I don't think I saw any there either. But let me bring up this Facebook real quick and read what more Mark said. So go here, history of personal computing. Go here, messages. And I think he said it was okay to read everything. <laughs> Let's hope so. All right. So he said... Yeah, I'm going to try to jump through it a little bit. So he said, uh, thanks for writing back. I don't know if you'd be interested in discussing this on the podcast, but it might be a fun exercise. Um, okay, any thoughts? would be helpful. I'm currently working on my second novel, which will take place in three eras in the history of personal computing and the internet. In the present, there's a social media star who steals much of his content. Okay, in the late 90s, there's a brilliant young undergrad in California who works at USC, works with John Postel. Postal? Postal? This section gets into some internet governance DNS issues. Then after Postal's death, contributes to the programming of BIND9. B-I-N-D, capitalized 9. The third period, time period, and the one which you might have some thoughts on in Minnesota, in the late 70s, there's an independently wealthy engineer laid off from control data. He has become obsessed with the revolution in personal computing, buys all the models he can get his hands on, reads obsessively about them, and designs what he believes will be the greatest personal computer ever. I imagine this to be something of a spruce goose, conceptually impressive but too large, too impractical, deeply flawed, barely able to fly, etc. Perhaps already obsolete by the time he's completed the prototype. Um, okay, and he goes a little bit more, but we'll, but that sounds pretty interesting right there, doesn't it? Yes. Um, uh, and he would love to hear our thoughts, if we have any. He's been lots <laughs> about this era, but he doesn't have any hands-on experience. My, my thoughts are still in KFS next year. <laughs> Thanks for your time. So, so Mark, we'll, we'll digest it a little bit more, because we had a chance to discuss it yeah, but no, it was a it was a wonderful contribution. It, it does give us something to. to I think, um, and I'm I'm going to tell you what pops into mind a little bit, Mark and Jeff is. Um, and Jeff, have you read the the um, the novel Ready Player One? That we, I've we, always we wanted to. It it's, before, it's one right? of those. It's one of those that I want to get when I'm ready to read it. Because can't you get that in e ebook format? I'm pretty sure I got it on yeah. audiobook, so I listened to it. Which is a good cheat, you know. And I had a I had a long commute at the time, so that made it better. So great book, but it's all about eighties nostalgia. It's about more than that, but I'll leave it at that. But Mark, your idea, it kinda it definitely I think if you haven't read that book or listened to it, check it out. Because I think that could give you other inspiration of how to handle your book to to a certain extent, maybe. Maybe not, but um but it makes me think of that. They're supposed to have a movie of Ready Player One, um any time now I thought so maybe it's in um, development hell or something but but it sounds pretty cool Mark so um, we'll talk about it some more I think that'd be interesting Uh, obviously personal computing nostalgia would be an interesting um, you know what I want to say (laughs) what am I trying to say a sort of scenario or a a, a, well you know they should have have a story they should have liberal arts degrees on that <laughs> oh, why not? A history, yeah. man. Yes. You should petition for one at a major college. Well, you got anything else for us, Jeff? No, I don't. And I know you're probably getting hungry. Yeah, that's okay. You, you we, preempted dinner for this. We for, kept the for show the sake of our hours. So that's cool. You, you. Oh yeah! Wow. How did we do that? And I was we talking so much at Kansas Fest and thirty minutes. Yeah, so that's good. Oh, wonderful! Why can't we do that all the time? We were going to grill out. <laughs> I think we're going to wait till tomorrow. Okay. We're recording this set on Friday evening, so it's a little after eight. Um, I think we'll go pick up something and then we can grill tomorrow. So, um, all right. So, next show, eBay Show 18, will be released on Friday, August 19th. And this will be our last episode covering the second tier of personal computing, the portables. So, in 18, we're going to cover, guess what, Jeff? And it seems like an odd one to cover, but we're going to cover it and it's and other related 
what I call interesting laptop mutations, but we're going to cover the Asus EEE PC. That's what I have. Yeah, which really kicked <laughs> off the whole sh- so slightly some, short-lived, but it's still around netbook. I have some insight on that. That would be cool. And that original one was pretty interesting. And That's I did look I recently. It came in like white and black. Yeah, and it was only 7-inch, and it was only like Linux on it. Oh, it, it, and stuff like that. Originally. Well, mine runs Windows XP too, so it dual yeah. boots actually. Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of people, the earliest ones, they bought it and then they put Windows on it and so on. And it runs ADT Pro. <laughs> so you can find all of our show notes at historyofpersonalcomputing.com. Send feedback to feedback at historyofpersonalcomputing.com. And we'd love to hear from you. Tell someone about us. Tell someone about us on iTunes, by the word on Facebook, Google+, Twitter, Snapchat, all those other, those other new ones. We have a Facebook page. We have a Twitter page. Also, check out the discussion on the Vintage Computer Forum. All these links in the show notes. And uh, that's going to be it for this episode. Remember, caveat emptor, let the buyer beware. Always research your purchases and your sellers fully first before buying on eBay. Oh, that's right. We're giving new advice. <laughs> yeah. I thought it was about time we added to that. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's important. That's part yeah, of the caveat emptor. You do all your research, and this is the best thing to do is to... Uh, you know, vet the seller. And be careful on Cra- with Craigslist, too. Yeah, always trade in a public place like the local police department. Yep. Parking lot. <laughs> so, until next time, see you later. Bye-bye. They all say they love me on eBay. Gonna buy a slightly damaged golf bag. buy some Guy I've never met in no